You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I am your host, the football grump. With me, as always, is Mike, the Cranky Fan, and my computer's not working, so we're doing this really, really shoddy, last-second, different, totally weird, sorry. How's it going? (laughs) I'll get my uh, two cans, my uh, tomato soup cans. We can do it that way if you want, like the old days. With the string, yeah. Doing good, Grump. Uh, just got back from vacation. Was out in Montana. Had a fun little Super Bowl party. Uh, a lot Where of fun. In Montana. I thought you were in Colorado. I, had I was in. Mo- wrong. I was in Bozeman, Montana. Uh, shout out to my buddy Dave and his place. Um, but before we do, I have to a very important announcement for you, Grump. I have to read a statement I'm from listening. the cr- from the cranky wife. Okay. Okay. I am disappointed. We will move on. That's her assessment of uh, the Super Bowl on Sunday. So I want to get that out there because I know a couple of people have asked me, you know, what her thoughts were. Is she jumped off a building or not? She's still alive and with us. Um, but um, she kind of knew that was going to happen. That was her, you know, that was the text I got immediately after the game. I knew this was going to happen. So I'm sure we'll talk. Let's, let's talk about the game because it was definitely interesting. Uh, I mean, that was a very Bill Belichick press conference right there. That was short to the point. She's on to 2024. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And he's not, I guess. (laughs) Um, We live in a world where Robert Sala is still a head coach and uh, Bill Belichick and uh, Rabel Rabel and who else? A lot of big name guys are not coaching right now. Saban? I think he's done. He's going to go to uh, ESPN. But uh, there's a lot of choice candidates that are out there and there's some scrubs that are still employed. And we're going to get to the Giants coaching updates now at the end of this one, but in, in this episode. Um, but first, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the Super Bowl. Before we get into, like, heady football stuff, just in general, the Super Bowl was boring, right? Uh, the first half was boring. I think that that turned, turned into – I mean, all you want, really, if you're a, a, a non-objective fan and you are, you know, just watching a game – you just want to have it entertaining and close and, you know, big plays at the end. And we had none of that in the first half. We had close because nothing happened. Um, the biggest thing about that was I won my 0-0 box at the end of the first quarter and almost hit it again at halftime. So that made it exciting. But the first half was pretty boring. And uh, I'm going to challenge that the second half was any more exciting. You didn't really get that many big plays. And uh, the overtime most important plays were like Patrick Mahomes running and no one even near him. Those were your big plays in overtime that moved the yeah. chains. Yeah, but there's something for drama and there's something for, you know. Yeah, but here's <laughs> the thing. You and I both knew it was over long before we got to there. Yeah. So, I mean, how much we... drama was there really? Because I'm telling you, like people were some people think that this was really exciting and I disagree because I never even got off the couch. I was watching it like, oh, Oh, I see what's happening here. Wow. Okay. And 
it was it was right from the beginning, right? I mean, let's let's go down the list. You, you opening drive, everything looks great, and then he fumbles. Mm-hmm. Okay. Who, who had uh, who had McCaffrey fumbling on their uh, their bingo card? And that's the beauty of this. You don't know. Then then they go on defense and they beat the shit out of him, and you're like, oh, okay, they still got this. And then you go for the next drive, and it ends in a field goal. Or I don't even know if they did they even kick the field goal in the next drive. Uh, they got the field goal on the second drive, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, they marched down the field and then it ended in a field goal and they like, the cracks were just starting to show. And then, you know, the defense again, still whooping ass out there. And then all of a sudden Drake Greenlaw goes down for like no reason. And yes. you know, that was you the game. Back and you're like, okay, so now the defense is no longer kicking ass and they didn't capitalize on all the opportunities they had at the beginning. I get how this is going to go. And you and I were texting, I think what, right after halftime, the mm-hmm. beginning of the third quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was only because I figured you were doing stuff and whatever, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I don't think there was that much drama. I think the end was really predictable. I mean, we could have predicted the ending without – I mean, two things can happen at once. Like, mm-hmm. we predicted what was going to happen, but it was still exciting how he got there. Yeah, but I mean, when you look back at like, okay, Giants 2011 Super Bowl, dramatic ending, comes with a big, huge throw-in catch. What am I missing? What am I forgetting? That was at the uh, end of the game because there was there was one bomb to somebody that actually I think ended in a field goal for the Chiefs. I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't big play worthy, exciting. It wasn't bombs away. It wasn't you know, you know, oh my god, I had to hold on to my seat. It's just so exciting. It's just you know, again, we've been watching football all our lives, and you know, when you get to Big games and big plays and big moments, it's just exciting. You know, you don't remember, you know, there was a long stretch of Super Bowls in the 80s and 90s where every game sucked. I mean, you know, the Cowboys were so good and San Francisco was so good and, you know, they killed these AFC teams. So, you know, and and you have all these different subplots that are happening, you know, you know, you know, is now Patrick Mahomes in the Brady stratosphere? Is Brock Purdy for real or not? And all these things are kind of happening right now. And uh, I, 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 I was glued to my seat, you know, fourth quarter on. I don't know, man. I, as, I, much I think... as, I can be, as much as I can be when it's not my team. I mean, really. I mean, See, that's that's where I disagree. Uh, well, I mean, disagree is is subjective, right? Like it, it's I'm happy for you that it happened that way. I'm disappointed that it was boring <laughs> for me uh, because. Let's face it, I think we both agree that the halftime show is boring as shit. And the commercials this year and the you know past decade have been boring as shit. So the whole thing has been just a boring experience. I'm going to have a boomer moment here and talk about halftime for one second. Where they, I think they need to completely revamp what they do for halftime. The fact that you have 12 minutes and you are trying to jam 4,000 things happening. They have more than 12 minutes. They increase the, halftime for the Super Bowl. No, 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 no. The actual... Oh, the show uh, itself is 12 The minutes. show itself. The 12 minutes of that show is on, and you have – you know, you're trying to do seven songs and four costume changes and seven guest stars and all this. You just – it is – I don't think it's entertaining. I just think it – and it's just tired. I, I don't know what the solution is for halftime. I don't really – first of all, I'm not one who sits around and cares and really worries about it, but it just seems like we need to do something different because, you know, again, boomer moment, you know, I know I saw a lot of tweets going around like, well, Usher, now I feel like I'm back in 2003, but it's like, well, that's not me. That's not my, 
you know, I'm already past college by then. I don't really care. I know a couple of songs from him, but, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know what the solution is for halftime, but I, something has to change for it. And believe me, if you're at the stadium, the halftime show is 10 times worse. Most likely you're, you don't have the same uh, visuals you do on TV, and the sound is 50 times worse. That, that I've heard before. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't disagree at all. I, my bigger thing was, and, and this sounds like a nostalgia moment, but correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong. My upbringing, Super Bowl halftimes were like, they weren't concerts. They were like the biggest thing that you could do as like an, like as an artist, but it was also like the world's biggest stage or America's biggest stage at least. For mm-hmm. one night, like, mm-hmm. there are more people watching this than anything else. And the sets were always, like, larger-than-life gigantic things. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think it's kind of been on a steady decline for the last couple of years. Again, I, I don't well, actually care about this shit, I, I think, but it's relevant I think to abso- what I'm saying. I think you're but, absolutely right, because— But this one was like- literally just a concert. There was nothing that happened in this that wouldn't have been a normal Usher concert other than the extremely condensed set list and, like, all the other people there. Well, I think it's kind of like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is now. Like when they first started the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, who gets nominated? The Beatles, the Rolling Stones, Elvis, like your A-list of A-list people. And now it's kind of like, you know, Heart is getting in. And I think it's the same thing that's happening with Super Bowl shows. You know, the first shows were Michael Jackson, you know, about as big as you can get, you know, Madonna. Rolling Stones, Prince, Springsteen. These are, you know, massive. And, and then even even the, you know, the the the, the hip hop one with, with Dre and all those guys, these massive, massive stars where everybody knows all. But now you we've kind of gone through them all already. And the live music is not what it was. You know, rock and roll is not as big as it used to be. And those all those stars and, and acts are old. You know, there is nothing. I mean, other than right now, like Foo Fighters, Green Day. I mean, who's really left? It's like has a, Guns like, N' Roses ever done it? They have not done it. And that would be an interesting one. That, that might be, be the last. And I don't even like Guns N' Roses. And that might be one of the last of the nostalgia bands that hasn't done it yet. Because, again, like, you know, who's really out there from a, a rock and roll perspective? I mean, they haven't had a rock band since who? Coldplay? A long time ago. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, get, I don't know what you consider Bruno Mars, I guess, just straight up pop. It's a pop singer. It's a pop singer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, so yeah. I, again, you know, and that's just, that's just America as a whole. Her music is just segmented now. It's not top 40 music and rock and roll. It's everybody listens to their own music, and there's so many different subgenres and stuff. You're never going to get that. Everybody, oh, everybody loves this guy. Everybody knows all the songs. So if you don't have that anymore, what do you do? And, you know, I'm not a... I'm not a producer. I'm not a TV executive. I don't know what that answer is, but this is getting boring. And I got to be honest. Take a piss. Yeah. Um, and, and again, like the halftime show, I understand I'm not the demographic for it, but that's not really the point. The shows are objectively getting worse is what I'm saying. And I don't have a problem with Usher being the selected artist. I think it Usher being well, selected is a symptom of exactly what you said. The cause well, being are you just d- aren't. Big, I disagree. Big I disagree, Grump. I think you are exactly the demographic. You know, 35 to 50, you know, that's what they oh, want. Oh, but they expect me to be, like, throwing out my bone wing, my wing bones and shit at their halftime show, no? Yeah, 
But I mean, the Super Bowl is all about ratings. That we had a conversation offline. Would they ever move the Super Bowl to Saturday? And I said no, for two reasons. One, more people watch TV on Sundays than Saturdays. That's a fact. You know, look at forever. I mean, this was the highest-rated TV show of all time. They just announced more people watch that than any program since the moon landing, which is pretty fascinating. And two, they don't want people leaving the host city on Sunday. They want them to stay another day. So, but TV ratings are about not teenagers and not 20 something. It's about people who have money and people who, you know, our age group. So I know. <laughs> here, here's the thing about that. Um, I, I don't disagree. I, I understand that the NFL would never move uh, the game to Saturday. It was a fun conversation mm-hmm. uh, that that was happening at my job and you weren't there, which which sucks um, because I, I think you would have been fun for that conversation. But mm-hmm. they they say straight up that it's the ratings they know are going to go down. But I also think that that's predicated on we expect them to go down and. I have no problem with that. It's probably completely correct. Um, just for a fun experiment. Well, th- so so the argument that we were having was this is such a huge event that people will do things to watch this game. Like if they're going to do something else, if they're going to go out – I know – hang on. Hold all of your criticism. I got a lot to say. No, 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 no. I have a solution, but go ahead. Um, but like more events will happen at bars. Um you know things like that, and this isn't this isn't coming from a gripe place of like uh, I have to work hungover on Monday because I wasn't hungover and I have no problem working the next day. It's just I actually think that you get more out of it when it's on a Saturday. And you know the opposition was you know think about your girlfriend. Is she going to continue to watch the game with you, knowing that she doesn't have to go to bed at night and go to work the next day, or is she going to go out with her friends on Saturday? So for fun, I asked all the girls in the room who were all girlfriends. And none of them like football. And all of them said on Saturday, we would go out and do whatever you guys were doing to watch the game because that's what everyone is doing. Everyone's going to watch the game anyway. Like the NFL doubting its draw is something that's really odd to me. I think they're one of the few things that could move the TV needle from Sunday to Saturday. Uh, So that's just my personal opinion. I think also that that makes it more of a thing and less of a homogenous thing. Um, like to me, to me, the way the NFL has marketed itself throughout my lifetime seems to be on a set steady tipping point to rather than it being the draw for people to come in was more like, we will change to accept all of you, uh, and, and in all kinds of ways. And this, this, this sounds like a boomer talking, but it's, you know, I, I still love football. So it's clearly not a massive problem for me. Um, but in all ways, from the rules down to the way it's marketed, like the way that the NFL is trying to get kids involved because they are experiencing a demographic shift is to cartoon it up and throw it on Nickelodeon rather than throw enormous amounts of money into like youth football and to actually getting kids into football. They're like Snapchatting football instead. You know what I'm saying? It's been yeah, like I, a, a marked decrease in its own value over time. Here, Here's my counter to that is that. If they were so interested in mass growing the sport and maximizing ratings possible, you would not have the Amazon game on Thursday. You would not have the Peacock playoff game because you are decreasing the amount of people who can possibly watch it. The NFL cares about one thing and one thing only. 
maximizing their TV contracts, period. I, at, I think at, I, I think at, it's at more like risk, short-term money, but yeah, go ahead. Yes, they're at, at the risk of people not being able to watch a game because they have Peacock, at the risk of players who have to play on Thursday nights, at the risk of players who have to go to, to England, at the risk of players you know, just not being prepared. Uh, you know, for for games because the way the schedule is not is set up. So, I, I see your point about that. And, and the other thing is, the NFL. This we, we talk about this offline too. Is the NFL doesn't care about the bar. They don't care that you know, you know. Oh, if more people hang out on a Saturday night after the game, that's not their concern. They they know they aren't getting anything from that. There's nothing for them. They're worried about them. They're worried about their business partners. They're worried about their sponsors. So, I mean, the, the solution to this is really simple. We pushed this out now to almost mid-February when this season. Next week is a holiday. It's President's Day. A lot of people are off on Monday. Move the season out another week and have the Super Bowl on Sunday with a lot of people being off on Monday. I mean, you had an extra bye week during the season. I mean, I might add for a better product during during the season anyway, having guys having more rest. Um, that, that would solve the question about, well, I'm, I, I got to get ready for work on Monday or something because, you know, I know some people have to work and that's too bad, but a lot of people are off on that. And that seems like a pretty good compromise and to see also how well that would do. I think that's a brilliant compromise. I've heard it brought up before. Um, you know that the NFL will not accept another bye week as the solution. It'll be another week of football. Um, oh, yeah. You, you just it'll be that. another playoff round is really what it'll oh, be. They'll find a way yeah. to make it another playoff game. Or they add a, add a second bye week and you just have more teams. You're, you're rotating more teams. You're playing a 17-game schedule over 19 weeks as opposed to – and teams rotate those games in. So it'll always be – they'll have 19 weeks of season. And that's more inventory for the league too. Um. Uh, regarding so the thing is I, I i don't disagree with any of that i know i know what you're saying is correct and uh but all of it's for uh, when you have continual short-term gain in in the form of money uh at at the expense of your product yeah. um consumability you have what's what i consider to be fake value so like yeah it's really cool that they have these big TV contracts, but like that money all gets spread around to things that really don't matter. Like a 50 million contract, $50 million contract to Tom Brady to, to, to call the game. And I know that's not directly from the NFL, but it spills out of the NFL. It's all part of this, like this big money machine. It's all just big money and nothing with the product has gotten better. I would say, I don't really think yeah. that broadcasts have gotten better. I don't think the product, the product that I think has I think I can make an excellent argument has gotten worse over the course of my lifetime. I completely agree 100%. And if it was the one thing that has saved football, you know, saved like the trajectory of revenue of quite frankly, fan interest too, because you remember four or five, what is it? Five, six years ago with, uh, after Colin Kaepernick and the, you know, all the protests that everybody had, you know, his protest and the protest to his protest. And, you know, that guy's running around time, the CTE things were coming out that, Mm -hmm. The NFL was in the lowest popularity that it had been in years and years. They are goddamn lucky, and they should pray every night that gambling became legal. Because so, ga gaming, gambling has given it the boost that it needs. It, it's it's give more popularity, more people are watching it, and it's directly attributable to when gambling started. So, Don't think that that 
is a coincidence. Like, the, the NFL lobby, you know, is, is as strong as you might think a company like this. And that's what I'm saying. Like, they have all of this power, and they could make football better by investing in the sport itself. But instead, to get girls involved, they're all about giving out, uh, you know, merchandising deals to Kyle Juszczyk's wife and Taylor Swift. Um, that's how they're going to get women to watch now. They're going to just ride that bullshit. And then, you know, for kids, we'll just we'll slap some bullshit on Nickelodeon, pay them money to put our thing on there, you know, well, or some it's, bullshit it's, it's, like it's, that. It's it's easier and less legal issues by telling a kid, oh, watch Nickelodeon and watch slime as opposed to sponsoring a league with nine year olds where a kid might get a concussion. I mean, I guess so, but there's other things you could do, like investing Mm -hmm. money into youth football coaches and how to play the game more safely and making sure that you only have certified coaches coaching your kids and things like that. That might sound like a money-making scheme, but actually if you have to fund the facility and the teaching and all that shit, it kind of might break even at best. But at the end of the day, you raise better football players over time and you grow genuine interest in your product. This is the problem you have when you have a monopoly and something with – you know. Inelastic demand where people love what your product is and no one else can challenge it. And I know you've done extensive work on Spring League and everything. And, you know, yeah, but that's not like a real competition. But I'm talking about my my point is that's the closest we've gotten in 50 years since the AFL NFL merged for anything coming close to competing with its dominance and its, its monopoly on this sport. So when you are a monopoly and you have this, you know, demand. Why would you, you know, why would you do these things? I mean, it's just because people are willing to accept a product that isn't as good as it once was because they love the sport, they want to gamble on the sport, and you know, there's so much more ways to consume the sport. It's no longer just my team is on for three hours on Sunday once a week. I mean, there's you can watch countless. You could spend your entire life on Twitter just looking at highlights and analysis. You can watch. If you're a favorite team, you can listen to 50 podcasts. You can spend your entire week from midnight to midnight watching shows about that sport. There's unlimited ways to do that. So they don't really have the need or the interest, I think, to say, let's elevate this product. It's sad, but it's unfortunately you – know, that's, that's the problem I get it. we have. And, and ultimately th- this conversation was you know, a little uh, – you know. It, it all boils back to that's why I thought this one was boring. I I, th- I honestly <laughs> thought this was a predictable outcome. I think that even getting there was kind of boring. Like like I was saying, like there wasn't really the drama was predictable, and the big plays were like, and Patrick Mahomes not being tackled for some reason, or just like not being covered at all, and, and just it, running for like forty yards and sliding. It, it was like the least dramatic way to score a touchdown in thirty seconds. Like. <laughs> Um, it, it, it boils down – this game really boiled down to two things. One, uh, Patrick Mahomes is better than Purdy. Yep. And two, with Al Greenlaw, their defense wasn't good enough. <laughs> that was basically yep. it. And uh, they're two very close teams. They are two, you know, uh, you know, good coaches. I know I – know, um, what's the name's going to get crucified for blowing leads in Super Bowls? Um uh, Shanahan, but these are two well-coached teams. They're really good rosters. They're close teams, and they play each other ten times. You know, you might get a five and five record. Yeah, and nobody would be like, you know, that's shocking. It's just, uh, you know, the Super Bowl. It's, you know, it was it was a good way to spend a Sunday. I, I enjoyed my Sunday very much. It, I mean, I don't know. I, I might have been one of the few people to groan when I saw it was going to overtime, but 
know. That that maybe that's just me. So you know, since we're talking about, uh, well, I don't know. Do you want to go over the fourth down decision? Did you care about that? Uh, I want to talk more actually about the uh, the going for like, what do you do with the ball in overtime with the new rules? Where? Got it. All right. Let got me it. ask you want, something. Okay. Let me first of all, come up, did you know the rule changed? Yes, but I had uh, I had forgotten until the overtime situation came up. Like until until it was really going to overtime, I had forgotten that the rules changed. So the rule is now obviously even if you score a touchdown on your opening drive, the other team gets a chance. And the other thing that was confusion in the room we were in was it's not whoever's leading at the end of the first overtime. The game is over. Because here's my here's my my thing of that is that was still Kansas City's first drive. So if I, they didn't I don't score, believe it, I don't believe it works like, oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Go ahead. Right. So like, you know, like in the NBA, you know, there's overtime. It's a five minute overtime. And at the end of the five minutes, you know, whoever's leading wins. Now, obviously, because of the way the overtime is in the NFL, it's, you know, sort of su- sudden death after you get past that first field goal and then everything. But. Because it was still Kansas City's first drive, they weren't battling the clock at the end of the of the, the first overtime. They just would have gone to a second overtime, if they even did, though they yeah. were losing. What? Because it was still their first possession in overtime, and they have an opportunity to match. I So I didn't know that, but, I mean, it didn't really matter because they were right there in field goal range to tie it and go to a second overtime anyway. Right, if but they didn't, didn't to. they didn't right. have to. They didn't have to. It would have been second down. That's the same. Right. It was just a really quirky thing what happened. Um, see, the overtime rules uh, – I don't want to go down this. The overtime rules are fucked because they screwed up defense. They've taken all the teeth out of defense, and now it makes overtime unfair. So now you have weird overtime rules that I didn't even understand what you were saying for literally five minutes, and I'm going to have to edit out of this episode now. <laughs> because I stare, I was just staring at the camera slack-jawed like an idiot because I didn't understand what you were saying because this is so stupid. I, I get what you're saying now. And basically yeah. what you're saying is like, how dumb is this? Exactly. It would have been dumb. You're going to start a second overtime with different scores? Stupid. You, you'd be starting a second overtime even though one team was winning at the end of the first overtime. So to answer <laughs> your question about the yes. decision to take it or not, Yes. I think the decision is negligible, and I think everybody is looking for a math math mathematical certainty or like some kind of any kind of certainty. And I think it comes down to preference. Do you want to? Do you want? First of all, I think it comes down to preference, and second, I think it comes down to your fucking roster. Okay, everyone who makes decisions purely on math is stupid because if you're more trusting of like if Drake Greenlaw are still out there, I think I don't know. You could do whatever at that point. The defense was not letting them gain a yard when Dre Greenlaw was out there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I think that if you wanted to march down the field and put a dagger in them and put up seven points and make them be like, yeah, now beat that or whatever. If you just feel more confident with it, you feel more confident with it. I don't think that it makes a huge difference. I don't think that battling a clock or having to match what the other team does means much to me psychologically because my objective is to score a touchdown on every single drive that I'm doing. Yeah. Like um, Vince Lombardi said that every play he designed was to score a touchdown. That was the goal of every single play. And to me, you know how I am grump. I say this every time I want the ball first. I want to score first. I want to put the pressure on them. And also when you get into overtime related to your roster, 
defenses are exhausted. Hmm. Defenses are reacting. And you know on offense what you want to do. They got to react to it. And, you know. And quite frankly, San Francisco's defense had just gotten off the field at the end of the fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So I, again, I wouldn't kill any coach for, you know, kicking off first or, or taking the ball first. I know me. I want, I always want the ball first. I always want to have a lead as fast as possible. So. Regarding the fourth and three decision or fourth and four decision to kick the field goal, I, I don't think that it's a huge deal. Uh, but personally, I'm somebody who would have went for it there. Uh, and the reason I say that is because it is the Super Bowl and I'm trying to win. And that's really it. I think in the regular season, I'm kicking that field goal 100 percent of the time, unless it's like a win and in situation. Just anything where it's back against the wall like that, you're that close. Fourth down. I'm trusting that if we can't get four yards in, at least my defense, somebody's going to step up here. Somebody's going to step up. I'll either win the field position battle with my defense or someone's going to get a first down. At, at a certain point, you're in the Super Bowl. You have to trust your players to make plays, right? And in fourth and one situation for Kansas City, you put the ball in Mahomes' hands. And, you know, you can say whatever you want about, you know, he doesn't really run that much since he got hurt or whatever. You put the ball in Mahomes' hands on fourth and one. You're not punting it away. He still scares me more than anybody in the league on fourth and one having the ball, even more than Jay, than than Hurts with, with Philly, that he could do so many different things, and he's so smooth at what he does too. I also that, don't think yeah. kicking the field goal is crazy. Mm-mm. It's just personally I wouldn't have done it. That's all. I, it, To me, it depends on my personnel again, and when I have Patrick Mahomes who you know, has – such a versatility of the things he can do. And again, we're in the fourth quarter, same worn out defense. I just mentioned about an overtime. Stop me. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. We, we, we shit all over the NFL product for like 15 <laughs> minutes. Um, <Yeah>. you <laughs> wanted to talk about favorite Super Bowl memories. Yes. I saw something on Twitter this week that had, uh, what was your favorite Super Bowl memory of giant Super Bowl memory of all time? And I think the options were, you know, obviously that the helmet catch, the Manningham catch. Um, I forget what the third one was. It was something from those one of those two Super Bowls. And, and then one of the selections was Scott Norwood. And I again, we were talking offline. I said, this is obviously a question that is generation based and that opened up a little conversation i wanted to kind of share that you know have this conversation on the show and figure out what other people think as well um again if you don't know if you're relatively new to the show i am what am i 15 years older than you grump yeah just about yeah so i lived through i I started being a giant fan back when ray perkins was the head coach i was through the beginning of the awful part of Bill Parcells' regime, where he almost got fired after the first year. So um, we won the first Super Bowl when I was in ninth grade. So, you know, I kind of have a different perspective, I think, than a lot of people who listen to this show, follow us on Twitter, and do other shows also. Um, you know, as great as the helmet catch was, as great as the Manningham catch was, I, I think the Plexico Bears catch, I think, was that was the the, the third one. That Scott Norwood kick was the greatest moment in my mind in giant history, and I don't really even think it comes close. Uh, that team, people forget, was 11-0, and 
during the regular season and before Phil Simms got hurt. You know, you're playing with Jeff Hostetler, who's a backup in this league, uh, against a really, really, really good uh, Buffalo Bills team. I mean, people now just think of them as a joke. Oh, they lost four Super Bowls. Ha, ha, ha. But that team had Hall of Famers all over the place. Hall of Fame coach. And, you know, the situation around that game, which a lot of people forget about, that was a week after Desert Storm started. There was real talk of canceling that game because of security concerns, all these different things. There was only a week between the conference championship game and the Super Bowl. So it was all it was complete chaos leading up to it. So it was a very tense situation. You know, the the Whitney Houston singing the national anthem has become iconic and all that. And, you know, you had stars all over the place in that game. It's a game the Giants were significant underdogs in. Significant. I, I would say bigger underdogs than that than with the Patriot one. And to kind of dominate that game and have it come down to one kick and have him miss it was it's, to me, it's still my greatest feeling and moment in, in giant history. I mean, I was a freshman in the dorms watching it. It was just I, I was really, really, really invested in that season, going to bars every week to watch them down in Gainesville. And, uh, you know, all this, you know, everything else. You know, those those are great moments, great single highlights. But for importance, you know, and iconicness, that's the play for me. And again, I come from a, from a boomer perspective more, but uh, that was the biggest. And I don't think I can ever be topped. So I, I think the, the question is too difficult for – first of all, there's no argument if you're only going to ask Giants fans. So if you ask mm-hmm. a, among Giants fans, the answer is going to be so personal that there is no mm-hmm. wrong answer, right? And 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 no, there is, but but if you're going to kind of look at the question as objectively as possible, uh, so if you were to ask like non-Giant fans, um, which which this is like a stupid conversation, but like what's the best memory or whatever, I think the Norwood wide right makes a lot of sense, but it's really difficult to separate out the season from the Super Bowl itself. And just the setup for it, right? So um, for me, the answer is difficult because I think objectively the answer is – and I I wouldn't say the helmet catch moment. I would say the Burris touchdown really personally. But that was – I think objectively was more an expectation that that was going to be a game in which people were going to see history – and they were going to see an undefeated Super Bowl winner uh, at 19 and 0. And I mean, people every. I know I, I have a friend that was going to college in Boston at the time, and like, they were like practically ready. They were all set up and ready to go to celebrate this shit. Like, it was not supposed to happen. And for much of the game, I wouldn't even say like it was like tense, like it was keeping it close. It was just kind of like waiting for the Patriots to blow it open. It didn't feel like, oh, man, they're hanging in there. At least it didn't for me. Um, It just kind of felt like, you know, sooner or later Randy Moss was getting open or or something like that. Um, And for the situation to go down the way it did in the the closing moments was so goddamn improbable. Everything about the the throw and catch – uh, there, there was a near pick on that drive. I mean, mm-hmm. Giants, Giants fans know all this shit. So I think objectively, when you look at it, that is just always going to be so hard to top. Because if you 
I mean, you add in the thing, I, I know it's it's Hostetler, but Hostetler was around in the league for a really long time. Uh, a backup caliber, obviously, for sure, but had been around. He was a veteran. You know, Eli Manning, huge question marks all over the place about him coming into the game. It's just hard to to top that, I think. And I think that 90 is probably the closest that you can get after that. And I, I wasn't really around for 86. I was born yeah, in Yeah, I would say so. I would rank them in my personal 91, 86, two, um, the, the, the first Patriot one, three, and then the other one, a little bit more of a distant four, but that first one, even though I was only 13, I still had a sense of like history. And I was like, all I remember was like, again, I'd been a giant fan at that time, five years maybe or so. But my thinking was, I will never have to be a Cleveland Brown fan. Because that was right around the time when the Browns were blowing AFC championship games to Denver. You know, it was before they moved, obviously, but like the, the Ernest Biner fumble and the drive. And I just remember thinking, at least I'm going to see a championship in my lifetime. And, you know, it was a big moment even at that time. And you never forget your first. I mean, quite honestly, too. But that 90 team was more special to me than that 86. And it's that kick because we were out of gas in that final. That game is another. 10 seconds we lose. They would have got another 10, 15 yards on mm. another Thurman Thomas run. Norwood has a 32 yarder. He nails it. History has changed. So it was really just like tick, 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 tick. Just go, go, clock, clock, clock. Just run out, run out. And I remember just sitting there watching it like literally like this on my, you know, at the party, just and as soon as it went, you knew right away. And it just, it, it, that still brings me chills now, 30, what, three years later. So what's funny is that while I think 07 is the objective best and 91 is probably the second best, I my personal one is the 11 one, which is funny because I, for me, it was because I was so invested in that season. It was the first time that you and I had gone to literally every home game that year. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I was deeply connected with that team. I was intimately familiar with every transaction that went on during it. I remember beforehand, I remember – you know, signing free agents, Rocky Bernard and, and Dion Grant. And being this is like, probably the oh, birth of our text chain that became yeah. the birth of the genesis of this show. I And, and, and you know, got to go to that, that we had, we hosted a playoff game for that run. So mm -hmm. we got to go to that and we just absolutely beat the shit out of the Atlanta Falcons. That was a no contest. That was so much fun. And mm -hmm. what's interesting is that the 11 one is special to me because I had seen it all before to the point where when... <laughs> When the situation came up, I was as calm as could be. I knew it was over. I knew we were winning the game. <laughs> and so I, I, I remember texting you specifically and saying, there's nobody else I'd rather have the football right now. I, I funny knew for it. Me it, was, it was absolutely perfect. Everything that happened that night, I like won a Super Bowl pool. Like So for me personally, the 11 season was great. I, I remember that Super Bowl. I don't think I'll ever forget any part of that season. I see. I had the exact opposite feeling of you because uh, Cranky Wife and I were at the game, and I remember them getting the ball back with not much time left. I remember just turning to him, going like, "I can't believe we're going to go through this exact same thing again." Which you know, I'd thrown up at the game four years earlier, right before that, and I was like, "I can't believe this is going to happen again." And Cranky Wife's like, "Are you going to throw up on me again?" And I was like, "There's probably an 87% chance that's going to happen." I mean, to have to go through something like you couldn't even write that script the game four years earlier and then we're here we are they got the ball it was a lot less time they had but it was just like 
we're doing this again. And just the relief of like, we, we did it again. We did it again. That was, it was, believe me, like you said, there are no wrong answers. It's your personal, you know, it's, it's your, your situation, your memory, your, you know, time and place. And it's all great, but uh, I just can't believe how I'm thinking about this stuff down and just literally a smile on my face thinking like, we just finished a horrible season <laughs> and we're so far away from that again. But yeah. This but the thing is that we, we were we were happy enough to we were lucky enough to get uh, a couple in our lifetime. So I mean, you only get a couple. So you know, you do all these things. You you lose eight eight years out of ten to win twice, and you're happy. Hey, how excited were were Lions fans this year? And yeah. they even they even go to the Super Bowl. So, um, all right. So Giants. Hired a couple of coaches, one super-duper important one, defensive coordinator Shane Bowen from Tennessee. Um, immediate thoughts. Anything? Anything you feel? Well, the thing that I went to immediately was, okay, how does that impact our current roster and what we're going to do with free agency and the draft coming up? I mean, is, you know, I also am a person that, I always believe players play and, you know, coaching is very important, obviously, but coaching achievements are always kind of like, well, who did they have? So as, as you know, you can go back and say, well, you know, the Titans were 10th in the league and average against the rush on third down, but that's great and all, but what is he going to do? Like, what are his philosophies? What does he want to do? How does that jive with what we have now in, with the current roster? What do we need to do to put in pieces that he needs? Because we're still in this rebuilding and now, you know, we, you know, 12 months ago, we didn't think when Wink Martindale would be leaving in the way that he did. We thought we were building a roster. And we, you had mentioned it several times throughout the season of the show that we had drafted specifically for guys that are tailored to his defense. Now, if you make a change, all of a sudden what you build towards, especially specifically for that, it has to change a little bit. So my initial questions for you, Grump, are. Thinking about the current roster, thinking about guys that we have to make decisions on, um, who are guys you think that we're going to benefit from having him as our defensive coordinator? And who are guys that probably should be thinking about calling a realtor because they may be leaving because they may not have a place on this team anymore? So um, you and I think similarly because that was exactly what I started doing first was like, all right, so what's the transition here personnel-wise? Um, and what I found out from, so I, I'm not done doing my own personal research, but reached out to a friend of mine who is very, very, uh, familiar with the Tennessee Titans, Stoney Keeley. I've talked about him many times on the show. He's the best. Yeah, I think we've both been on his show. I think different times. Uh, maybe. Yeah. 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 I think you're right. Um, and, um, so I reached out to him immediately and, Basically, the, the the main gist of what I got back from him is that all of the things that Wink Martindale like to do post-snap, where he shows you one look and the defense completely changes as soon as the ball is snapped, that's going to stay. The main difference is that Wink Martindale was coming with heat from somewhere on every play. Sometimes it was only four guys. You know, blitz statistics in the NFL are imperfect. If that fourth guy is like a guy from the secondary, it still counts as a blitz or something like that. It, it's, it's not quite right. It's a little bit inflated. But the point is, is that you knew that somewhere there was going to be a guy coming from that may be unorthodox, and you had to make sure that your protection schemes were set up. That 
is not really going to happen much. Most of the outside linebackers and, you know, defensive end tight, the edge rushers here are going to be kind of just pass rushing and doing stunts with the defensive tackles and that sort of thing. Um, however, the fact that there is going to be post snap coverage changes means that the same kind of thing that happened with Wink Martindale, where you had to have really good communication between all of your DBs is still going to be there. So guys that were used to a lot of terminology and making sure that you were, you know, properly lined up and disguising what you were doing and rotating into the correct things and knowing what to do with your assignments, that shouldn't change too much. That's going to probably stay the same. Um, it's not going to be quite as much man coverage because there's not going to be as many blitzes, but we're not really looking at just suddenly switching to like a cover two zone. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's just going to be like off coverage and stuff like that. So a lot of it is still going to be like off man coverage. Uh, so your Deontay Banks is still going to fit, I think, just as well, maybe even more. Uh, yeah, maybe even better because he will be less prone to needing to be grabby. He can play as as off as he's comfortable with with his own closing speed. Um, I think that um, a veteran safety like Xavier McKinney that's good at communicating is a fit, but I think in this particular defense, you want somebody that's a little bit more rangy, somebody that can play a little bit better of the single high than McKinney can, and I think McKinney can. I just think somebody maybe that's a little bit longer, a little bit faster. Like I would say Jason Pinnock as a athlete is more what you're looking for but as a you know not not a veteran so mm. and mckinney might have there may be questions about him that are beyond just scheme and stuff that they exactly want to anyway. yeah that that may be beyond football um and then the other thing that should translate well is the linebackers should translate precisely the same from what i'm understanding is that you're going to have a guy who's going to be a main disruptor that's trying to shoot gaps trying to you know bring pressure or frustrate you know, maybe QB spy, drop into coverage, cover your tight ends, and then you're going to have a thumper next to him that's stuffing run gaps. That's what we've already got with Bobby Okereke and Micah McFadden, I think. I think that we're set personnel-wise on what I would consider the biggest investments into the defense the last year, which were Okereke and Deontay Banks, in my opinion. Um I mean, other than Dexter Lawrence, who you would have paid money to anyway. Mm. Um, I think also that you might get more out of Kayvon Thibodeau doing – less nonsense where he's kind of controlling gaps and stuff like that and doing more rushing the passer. Okay. So I don't know. I don't know how that makes you feel for me. I that feel makes... a little mixed because uh, it, it kind of stinks that there we're going from, I, I like bringing pressure, but it stinks that we're going down to like, we're looking at like a handful of game. I think it, where we are with the rebuild, I'm okay where where we are now because if we let's say we had Wink for four or five years and we had really exactly had players in his system and then all of a sudden you're really starting a rebuild over. I mean, we have the opportunity now with a free agency and a draft coming up that we can kind of take what you know start fitting immediately without having to really tear down things as it is. So I'm not too overly concerned about roster construction because we had a the more important thing, honestly, for this defense is to increase the overall talent level of it anyway. So we have to we have to improve, you know, in places we that had to be done regardless. So now it's just, you know, instead of a, a guy that would might have fit in this thing, we're looking for someone who has maybe a slightly different skill set. So it, the timing of it is okay for me. And again, we are still we're still building a better roster, and I, I think that's the key: is getting better players in here. 
Yeah, I think the thing I'm most excited about is that uh, most of the key investments are going to be carryovers into exactly what you want in the scheme. So mm-hmm. the the roster, you know, the personnel itself, I, I think, is going to stay largely the same, which is cool mm-hmm. because we invested a lot of money. <laughs> and, and you know, it, it would just be stupid to have, you know, traded up in the first round and drafted a guy that you can't. I mean, not that you can't use, but that you can't maximize. You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. Um, so I'm feeling pretty good about Shane Bowen. Like I said, there's some things I want to watch first and see with my own eyes. Um, and I haven't done that yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel pretty good about that. And, you know, I think that the, I think that this might shut the door on Xavier McKinney. I think, you know so. what I mean? Like, I think if, if it was slightly ajar, I think it's now closed. Um, which is interesting because I, I think that Wink probably didn't like him very much. Um, I don't know. And if Wink is such a player's coach and Wink didn't like him, that might tell you something too overall. Yeah. Um, I do think that the solution is probably going to come via free agency for safety though, because I do think that um, the value that's placed on communication and the safety being physically in the center of the defense in the, Mm -hmm. in the defensive backfield is, you know, I don't know if he's going to get the dot on his helmet is what I'm saying. But regardless, he's going to be communicating left and right side. Yeah, he may not need the dot. But, I mean, bringing in Bobby Okereke as like a vet, veteran presence, I think, stabilized a lot of things on that defense. And I think oh, having sure. having a guy like him in the back end of the defense, I, I think, would be very, very key. Because, again, Deontay Banks is still in his second year. You know, we, we don't know what that makeup is going to be back there. There's still going to be a lot of young guys back there. So mm-hmm. having one that's, you know, a, a mature, experienced guy, I think will do wonders for them also. Well, I, I think the, the main thing that I'm mostly excited about is that when you look at the defensive personnel or whatever, you have question marks built in already. You know, forget the wink shit. Uh, what's happening with Xavier McKinney? What are we doing with the Dory Jackson? What happens if Deontay Banks goes down? We have like one defensive back right now. Right. Um, those and, questions were not added to, I would say. Like, there's and, not more added to that problem. And I'm, I'm in my calculus role list, I'm assuming the worst. Like, Adoree Jackson's right. gone. Xavier McKinney is gone. I mean, so what do you I. really have back there? So that, that's where I'm kind of thinking about this, you know, this hypothesis of bringing in that, that veteran, you know, safety as the anchor of – you may not be a, a pro bowler, but someone just to kind of stabilize a little bit and just give a little – maturity back there which you know not immaturity like they're a bunch of immature babies but just still young nfl guys back there feeling out their way and it, right yeah and, and in this league you know if you're back end you better have something back there they could be exposed really quickly and be very long games um they also hired outside linebacker coach charlie bullen who was formerly with the university of illinois and tight ends coach Tim Kelly, who is formerly the Titans offensive coordinator. Um, hmm. So, I, I mean, anytime you get a former play caller to go down to a position coach, I think that you're probably getting some of the better position coaches. But uh, also, what do I know about tight ends coach? Not much. <laughs> I mean, really, I, I'm hoping that, you know, uh, Daniel Bellinger continues to develop. I think that the Giants were interested in upgrading the tight end room regardless. I think that there's probably – some people in the building, maybe people at the top that are interested in moving on from Waller. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, well, let's 
let's put it this way. When we got Waller, the expectations will he'll be like a wide receiver one in this offense. So, you know, they, if they're trying to upgrade the tight end coaching with something that may maybe might be able to maximize their goal of having him being that, you know, if not wide receiver one, but like a primary, primary target, which he really wasn't last year, you know, injuries and otherwise. No, yeah, injuries and otherwise. Yeah, I, I'm not really sure how much Tim Kelly is going to bring to that, but at least I know he's not a nobody. He's been around the league. He's done mm-hmm. all kinds of different positions uh, of coaching. So uh, I, I'm, I guess I'm pretty comfortable with that. We've got some excellent beards on this staff. Yeah, jeez. This is a... Um, <laughs> One thing I did see, and I don't know much about this because it happened tonight, is the Giants also hired a strength and conditioning coach from Tennessee, which was like one of the most injured teams the last three years. So um, so three coaches from Tennessee come over. Yep. Interesting, right? But, I mean, also that, that was a strange head coaching vacancy. I think that that was probably not a mm-hmm. decision until around that time the decision was made. So I don't think anyone around the league was expecting it. I think suddenly guys were like, I don't know if I have a job anymore. Mm -hmm. Sure. Sure. uh, I'm not, I'm not totally shocked by that. Uh, But it is weird because I don't know that we needed, we hired Aaron Wellman as like uh, some other fancy title, but I mean, how many, how many, how many workout coaches are you really, you know what I mean? Like what else are these guys doing? (laughs) <laughs> it's one of those things where you, it's very easy to blame for anything else to go. When all else fails, no one else like to blame. Bring, bring, yeah, bring this. Yeah. Blame the strength and conditioning guy because, you know, they get tired in fourth quarters or whatever. It's like, well, I don't know about that. So, well, it's just like, I think that there are tons of reasons for injuries. One of which is the player themselves. Sometimes players don't take care of themselves, man. Um, that is uh, one thing that people don't consider, but like injuries happen for a multitude of reasons. Yes. Fields and bad field conditions will contribute to that. Sometimes a history of injuries will contribute to that. You just end up being more brittle or more prone to concussions. The more you get them, if you got them a lot in college, chances are good. That's going to yeah. carry over. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not robots. Thing- we're not robots. We're people and everybody is built differently and different and different tolerances for pain as well. Sure. Also the amount of rest, um, you know, hey, re- Related, Grump, real quick, I know we, we probably should bring this up, too, because, you know, the Meadowlands got awarded the World Cup in 2026, and yes, there's talk of, there is talk about, you know, they, they have to have grass for the game, regardless. The question's going to be, will that be a temporary situation where it's put in for the summer and taken out, or are we going to go to full-time grass? Uh, I know everybody loves to bitch and moan about our turf, even though it was no years old this year and people are still getting hurt. So they're blaming the turf. Um, you know, what do you want? <laughs> do you want grass? Do you, does it really matter to you at all? Uh, um, I, I think that having grass at MetLife, uh, it could be a real problem because there are scheduling times where the jets and giants play Sunday, Monday. Sure. It's not common. Um, I would say that it's a better situation than Heinz Field or whatever. I don't know if it's still called that. But, you know, you're not having Pitt play there on Saturday and then Pittsburgh playing there the next day. They do have that in Tampa Bay with the uh, with USF and the Bucks. They do sometimes yeah. have a Saturday-Sunday. Yeah, but, but MetLife, nothing really goes on on Saturdays as far as I know at MetLife. No, the only thing they possibly could do is because, you know, again, remember that well, I guess by the time they – it would be two years, the grass. It wouldn't be next year, the year after. 
I mean, right. if, the, if the Jets still happen to have Aaron Rodgers, uh, <laughs> they're going to be on prime time a lot. They're going to be on Monday nights quite a bit or, or Thursdays quite a bit. So you might see that doubleheader weekend, you know, possibility of it happening. Um, I don't really have a problem. If I mean, I don't think it's going to happen because the maintenance costs. When you're in the north, especially the temperate north like New Jersey, where you get really humid summers with lots of rain in the spring and stuff like that. And then you get really, really cold winters well, and, and really get, dry summer. It's, it's, it's like you also get less sunlight. Ever. You get less sunlight up in the north, too. I mean, we're down in Florida. The, you know, it gets dark at, you know, 630 here. It gets dark at like five o'clock or whatever. Yeah. So less sunlight is less time for grass to grow and to recuperate. And, and to recover. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, like anytime it's in the north, you're going to have extremely high maintenance costs that you wouldn't get other places. So, uh, I mean, I don't know, I guess. Uh, it could be a disaster at the same time. Like people take for granted, like those, like for instance, this year, how many rain games did we go to, man? Too many. That field could have been permanently screwed up. Like it Mm -hmm. may have been with the amount of like cleat action in mud. Like, I don't know. Uh, And, you know, I, I understand that they have all the money in the world to fix it or replace it or do whatever they need to do. But just know that they don't like spending that money. My only hope is if they do it, they do it right. Because you remember at Old Giant Stadium, they tried to do those pods. And oh, it was, I remember it was, that. It was an Shit. awful mess. Yeah, it never worked. And if they're going to do it, you know, lay out the money. You have two teams invested in it. Well, that's the right. thing. And I think that's the, that's the whole problem with the stadium itself is that, like, and it involves two teams. So, like, I don't know. I don't think it was really looked at logically. <laughs> No. Uh, that that's gonna do it for this episode. This was the last episode of the 2023 season. Starting next week, we will have on our regular scheduled Tuesday morning, right? Yes, that's correct. Our regular scheduled Tuesday morning episode will be the first one of the 2024 off season, and we're gonna go over the Giants roster and essentially what they're heading into with the off season, and gonna jump right into quarterback talk as well. So. Um, each time we go through positions through the coming weeks, we're going to talk about the situation on the roster uh, and what any possible solutions are in the draft and in free agency all the way up to the draft. So we have a flood of episodes coming, and uh, I'm really excited for it. This is this is like where you get to talk about all the different possibilities, and it's a lot of fun to imagine and, and think it, like that. It's one of the bright sides of having a bad season is that it's like there's more of a sense of an urgency and excitement of digging in and saying, how do we fix this? What can we do? Yeah. You know, so this is good to really let's break this thing down. Um, you know, it's not all horrible. There are, you know, bright spots and gems on this roster. We'll identify that. We'll see what we can do see how the cap's going to bite us and all that different stuff. So I'm looking forward to it. And I'm, I'm glad I'm doing with you grump because I know all the work you put in, you know, with with your, um, you know, your film reviews and everything. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And I've already started, uh, as a reminder, I have my grump channel as well. Uh, and so videos will be coming out on there as well as I go through all this stuff. So I've only gotten started. I will have some stuff out on there pretty soon. I have a senior bowl, biggest winners video coming out pretty soon, but the amount of editing it's taking a lot longer than I thought it would. Um, and I'm trying not to compromise actually continuing to review guys. So I don't know when that's coming out, but it's coming out and be sure to subscribe <laughs> to that channel, please. Thank you. Um, that's going to do it for us tonight and we will see you guys next week until then.
Go Giants. Go Giants.